You ready to jump into the words? Well, pull out your book called Mark It Up. If you're new and you don't have one, you can pick one up at the info desk. It's complimentary for the next year. And we got friends, we're 13 weeks into the book of Mark. Isn't that amazing? And here we go. We're starting chapter 4. We're going to read chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. And I'd invite you to follow along as Natalia Dworka comes. And she's going to be reading the scripture. So that's Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Thank you, Natalia. Good morning, church. Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they, were, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables 12, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Amen. Thank you, Natalia. So, you know, probably the key verse to understand, and maybe even circle the word kingdom in verse 11. Uh, Jesus talked about kingdom in our last message, and he's going to talk about it next week too. This is a common thing in Jesus' language is throughout the book of Mark. He's always describing a type of kingdom. Now, this is an interesting parable. Now, Jesus was an incredible storyteller. He's incredible at it. We're less incredible at understanding often what he does share in these parables. In this parable, just to understand it clearly, there's a gardener, a a, a sower, and he is Jesus in this parable. And there's soil. We are soil. There are seeds, and the seeds are the truth. And he, we learned some things about Jesus here. It, some people call it the parable of the soils, and it's not that. Because in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus actually calls it the parable of the sower. The emphasis is on Jesus. We see ourselves in this, as we should, but the emphasis is on him, the focus is on him. 
And what is interesting, when Jesus is telling the story, he's telling it immediately after he's been rejected by people. People have rejected his message, and he tells this story, and it helps us to understand what's going on with Jesus and his message. Remember, we've learned in Mark so far, people have struggled with the people that Jesus has hung out with, haven't they? He's got the wrong crowd around him all the time. What's wrong with that? Now, what's interesting is we see with the sower, he throws it everywhere. Isn't that interesting? You might call him even reckless with his seed. He's throwing it everywhere. I love the generosity of our God. He doesn't hold back truth. He's spreading truth. And this is probably something good for us to remember. In John chapter 8, he says that he was the light of the world. He was the one who illuminated truth for this world. And then he said to us when he was ascending to heaven, he said, now you are the light of the world. We're the sowers of the good news now. Here's something that should encourage you. Sometimes we are so miserly with the seed. We keep the good news of what Jesus Christ has done and who he is to ourselves. When we should be spreading it wildly, I was going to say wildly. Well, you know, in love, in love, speak the truth in, right? But widely. Why? Because, listen, you're responsible to people for the gospel, but not for how they respond. Now, the interesting thing in this passage is it gives us some tests to discover whether or not the truth has taken seed in our heart. It shows us some soils and what that looks like. Here's why Jesus did this. Because it's really hard to discern whether you're in the kingdom of God. Listen, you already know whether you're in a different kingdom. You know when you're in an earthly kingdom because they come different. Earthly kingdoms come by force. Earthly kingdom comes by by coercion. And so you know when you're in the earthly kingdom because you pay taxes in the earthly kingdom, do you not? Did you pay your taxes? I know this, friends. Every time I do, nobody writes a thank you note from Canada. I never get it from Revenue Canada, but try not paying them. (laughs) They write you. (laughs) You know, you know you're in the kingdom of Canada, if you want to call it that, or you understand what a kingdom looks like, and you understand how power looks like on earth. And sometimes it's very corrupt power. But with God's kingdom, it's so differently. It comes like a seed. It seems kind of weak and vulnerable at first. It seems to, to be mystifying to us because it's, it, it looks so vulnerable. But once it takes root, it transforms and it changes everything. And Jesus is saying it's difficult to get into this kingdom. It's not easy to get into this kingdom. Remember last week we learned about the strong man. This is his kingdom. But Jesus came to bind the strong man and plunder him. And the spoils of Jesus' victory is us. He came to set captives free. We were captive to darkness and he came to set us free. And and welcome us into his kingdom. So how do you get into God's kingdom? Do you need a passport? A visa? Do you, do you need a student visa? A landed, a landed immigrant status? What, 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 how do you get in? Well, in Mark chapter 4, later on it says this, and I love how it says it in the King James Version. I love how it says it. Jesus says this, The kingdom of God cometh by hearing. What? And then he says, So be careful how you hear, or take heed how you hear. The kingdom comes by hearing, so take care how you hear. Now, this is unusual, isn't it? 
Because listen, in the kingdoms of this world, the leaders, we don't look at leaders and think, boy, they're great listeners. They're great tellers, right? They tell you what to do. No, they're not listening to you, right? That's why people rise up and why people protest and why people make a lot of noise because they feel like the leaders are not listening. Somebody just woke up in the back. Welcome <laughs> to Evangel. Glad you're here today. <laughs> you know, they're not listening, but Jesus says one of the key things to enter into my kingdom is you have to develop the ability to hear, to listen. To allow God's truth to get penetrate your heart so it can bear kingdom fruit. Friends, some of us who are even Christians, some of us are miserable. Some of us don't understand this. We're not growing, we're not happy, and we're even confused because we struggle to understand God's kingdom. We think his kingdom should look like the kingdoms of this world like a battering ram that busts everything that's opposing us in its path. Instead, it comes like a seed. John the Baptist, I love this man. He's an incredible foreteller of Jesus. And when he was in prison and Herod was going to behead him, John the Baptist sent word to Jesus and said, are you truly the Messiah? Now, was that because he was scared? Well, if you know John the Baptist's story, you know that's not true. He was not unnerved. This man had courage in spades. I mean, incredible courage. What John the Baptist was struggling, it was really a failure of theology. He's struggling to understand God's kingdom and how it works. Because he did math like we do math. If you're the king, if you're the Messiah, Jesus, why am I in jail suffering? Why is this happening to me? And we do the same thing. We think God's kingdom should operate like the kingdoms of this world. If you're truly the king, if you're God, how come Mr. Wright never comes? How come Mrs. Wright is with the wrong guy? How come, how come my job is, how come this, how come that? And we kind of miss what's happening and how God's kingdom works. Jesus says this, my kingdom doesn't come like a battering ram. My kingdom comes gently like a seed. And at first, it looks small. At first, it even appears as if it's doing nothing. But when it takes root, it can transform an entire field. It can change a whole life. It's unstoppable. Don't you get why people laughed at God's kingdom? Think about this. What type of kingdom cries victory for a king who's tortured and killed? Where his followers know that in order to find themselves, they have to lose themselves. In order to be rich, they need to give away. And not not hoard. What type of kingdom where the power truly is found in the humble servants? What type of kingdom is that? That the way to really grow in God's kingdom is to go through difficulties and learn dependence on the king. I mean, what type of kingdom? It's a crazy message. And Jesus challenges us with this message because it changes everything. Everything. Because the kingdom of God is hearing truth. But if you're like me, I'm not always a good listener. That's why people can leave the same service. And one person leaves and they think, wow, that scripture illuminated my eyes. And that's changed me. And the person sitting right next to them can go, I don't know what that was about. (laughs) You know, wah, 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 wah. You know, why? Because, Because they can't hear. They can't hear truth. 
It's not whether or not the speaker was engaging or not or not. It's the truth of what the Bible is teaching, whether or not it gauges our hearts. When you plant a seed, it transforms everything. And God's kingdom comes by love, not by force. This is the way to look at the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is sown into our lives by these truths that God gives us. And then if it falls on the right soil, it begins to bear great fruit in each of our lives. And I love this parable because Jesus gives us tests to determine whether or not the kingdom has really come into our lives. Now, why would he need to do this? Because his kingdom's not like the kingdoms of this earth. You could miss it. You could miss it. You might miss that you're a part of it. In fact, we know because we looked at it last week, many people think they are and they're not. It's it's a little disconcerting, right? Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus says, on judgment day, I don't like that word first, judgment. What? Are you judging me? (laughs) He's judging your fruit. On judgment day, many, 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 will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Now, doesn't that, how can you be in and not know it, right? How can you be around something like the truth of the kingdom of God and it not get in you? Doesn't that disturb you a little bit? Well, it oughta. (laughs) It ought to disturb you a little bit because Jesus' words stirs up things. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is always putting off people. I never understood this. You know, the rich young ruler comes, and he's really obedient to the word of God. He's faithful to the laws of God. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I've kept all these commands, all these commands, and I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, go away, give away all your possessions to the poor and then follow me. The guy was like, uh, what, whoa, <laughs> hey, Jesus, I'm in, but not all in. Come on. And what amazes me in the story is he walks away. And Jesus wasn't telling us all to sell all our possessions. He knew that his treasure was in earthly things. And what is amazing is Jesus let him walk away. This, the most convincing man in all of human history didn't say, whoa, 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 chase after him. Whoa, 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 it's okay, it's okay. You know, if you give away to the poor, don't worry, you're storing up treasure. He doesn't. Jesus lets him go as if, as if, friends, it's a privilege to be in Jesus' kingdom. He's not desperate. That it's a gift, and it's a treasure, and it's to be valued. It's incredible. In Luke chapter 9, a man comes to Jesus, and he says, I will follow you. I will follow you wherever you go. And in typical fashion, Jesus kind of responds this way. It's very interesting because leaders in this world, if you went up to a leader in this world saying, I will follow you wherever you go, the leader would say, you're the type of man I'm looking for. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus responds this way. Foxes have their holes and uh, holes. Birds have their nests. But the son of man does not have a place to lay his head. He just kind of puts him off. It even feels a little rude, actually, in this passage. But what Jesus is really saying is, hey, do you really know what you're getting into? When you say you're going to follow me, do you really understand what you're getting into? Because my kingdom, my kingdom is about coming and doing things my way. It's not about getting me serving you in your little kingdom. The whole principle of the parable is make sure that you've heard. So, 
He gives us these tests. And I'm going to give you three tests. And I told you, the people in the first service, if, don't worry. There's no right or wrong answers. Nobody's getting graded on this. But if you, if you pass all three tests, Pastor Joe's taking you out for a steak meal right after the service. It's on him. He just personally wanted to do that. And he might be difficult to find after the service, actually. I don't know. If you see him get, out, get up at my last point and leave, you know he's being strategic here. Here's the, here's the three tests, and these are great for you, friends. I hope you grab hold of these. The first one is this. Beware of listening to God's word with a hard heart. The seed was cast, cast on hard ground, on the path, and the birds just came and took it. Beware of listening with, and what that means is, beware of listening with your intellect only. That this is just an intellectual theoretical moment for you where you think about the thoughts of God, but nothing penetrates your heart. The seed has to penetrate your heart in order to germinate and grow into something beautiful. Beware of this just being an intellectual thing. And here's the test of whether or not it's been. Here's the test. And and, and the, the idea is simply this, is you can hear God's word for years. You can be a part of church. You can be a part of a movement. You can be a part of even this church. But you might have a hard heart. You might be just intellectually grappling with things, but it's never gotten to your heart. Here's your test. Has, have you ever come under the personal power of the truth? In other words, has there ever been a moment where someone's speaking from the Bible or you're reading the Bible, and maybe you've read it dozens of times, but all of a sudden it grabs you? And you know it's not just talking about somebody, it's talking to you. Have you ever felt that moment? Have you ever felt that moment when somehow something convicts you? It's not guilt, and you know it's not someone guilting you into something or condemnation. It is it's the Holy Spirit really applying truth to an area of your life and saying, listen, wake up. You ever had that moment where truth kind of held you by the throat? <laughs> you ever had that moment where truth grabbed you by the throat, and all of a sudden it's illuminated, and you see things as if they really are, and you recognize this is for me. That is the personal power of God's truth being applied to your life. If you've never experienced it, maybe you are hard-hearted. Maybe it's been an intellectual exercise. It's never permeated your heart. Well, what do I do, Pastor? We'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the second soil test. The second soil test is this. Beware of listening to God with a shallow heart, with your emotions only. Beware of listening, because it says in the text here, the seed fell on shallow soil, and it sprung up quickly with great joy and enthusiasm. These people are emotional, and they experience an encounter with Jesus Christ, and they're excited about it. They'll even tell you, Christ has changed my life, and they're very excited, but watch out, because the roots haven't gone deeply. So when the sun comes, when the heat gets turned up, When suffering and trouble comes, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? All of a sudden, they go. Why? Because all of a sudden, this Jesus, Christianity doesn't work. Jesus doesn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. And they were so enthusiastic in the beginning. These people never understood the kingdom of God. They never really understood the truth of the kingdom of God. They were trying to get Jesus to enter their kingdom and not enter his See, in this kingdom, they really wanted a a blesser. That's what they wanted, not a savior. 
They wanted a blesser, not a savior. They wanted a sugar daddy, not a king. They want, see, they thought they needed a solution for their suffering. They didn't realize that they needed a savior for their sin because they were never really convicted of their sin. They loved what Jesus could do for them. And we've seen it already in Mark, haven't we, of other people in Mark? This is none of us here, of course. This is other people out there. It might be some of us here. And in this moment, when, when, we, when the roots haven't taken root in it, all of a sudden we see Jesus as a solution to our problem, but we don't realize your biggest problem is you're a sinner and you need a Savior. But we never felt the conviction of that in our life. And as a result, when, when we sprung up so quickly and when trouble came, we thought, this is not working for us. Then the third one. This is the, for me, this is the hardest one because it's the hardest one to recognize. Beware of listening to God's word with a divided heart. A divided heart. The thing that's scary about this group is it's pretty easy to see in the first two groups that they're not real Christians. Now, some of you don't like I said that I said that. But we'll talk about why in a minute. It's hard to see in this group where they actually stand. Why? Well, because they've stuck. They develop some root systems. They, they become a part of, of the Christian experience in the body of Christ. And they love Jesus and they, they want Jesus. But here's the thing. They share control. Jesus shares control with other things in their life. They're not wholehearted. They're divided hearts. They, Jesus shares control. There's a division in their life. And the Christian life is choked They don't see change happening in their life. They don't see healing going on in their life. They don't see the real power of God coursing through their lives. And as a result, they're not sure if they're Christians. These people with divided hearts are a little anxious about how they stand before God. So they kind of feel guilty a lot. They kind of feel condemned a lot. That's how they feel. Why? Because they have a divided heart. For example, some people are committed to Christ. They love Christ but they use their sexuality in the way they know it's wrong. And they live with that tension. And they live with that division. Or they they use all of their resources, everything that God's blessed them with in their life, they use it on themselves only. Whoa! How callous could you be? But, But they do. And they live a divided, conflicted life. Not fully in, not fully out. What a terrible place to be. In fact, of all the people, this is the worst place to be. Because the hard-hearted and the shallow-hearted person, eventually they come to a point where Jesus is not doing what they want them to do. And so they say, it doesn't work for me, and they leave. When you get a divided heart, you know too much. You know too much, and you know you need Jesus. And you want him. So in fact, in this parable, you're the only miserable people. The person with a divided heart is the only miserable one in this parable. The others, they turn their back on truth, they walk their own way, and, and they move on. But you can't. You can't because you know too much. And so at this point, you all of a sudden, with a divided heart, here's what it looks like. Your work is way too important to you. Your priorities are so skewed that Christ is put on the peripheral. You know, with a divided heart, you don't see changes happening in your life. You don't see yourself growing in unusual ways. And you don't see the lives of others being changed through you. You're being choked. Now, when Jesus talks about the kingdom and he talks about truth, 
And he talks about hard soil and, and shallow soil and this divided heart. You can read this one of two ways. I was uh, driving in the car with Shelly and I was going through the message because I said, you know, Jesus is tough. I feel like, I told you at the beginning of this, did I not warn you in the book of Mark that it's kind of like a punch in the face? I, I feel badly saying that, but Jesus doesn't mince words. He kind of goes right at it. Last week, we're talking about the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Now I'm talking about a divided heart and shallow heart and hard heart. And then you could be thinking like, boy, this is just keeps coming at us. And Jesus kind of does that. He drives us to a point of decision because he loves us so much. He doesn't spare us the truth, does he? Now you can look at this and you can say, this just makes me feel guilty. Uh, you know what you're doing there when you go there? All you're doing is putting up a wall between you and moving into greater places of health and wholeness. Instead, what if you looked at this and said, instead of this is, this is hard, instead of just saying, this is challenging to me, I need to raise my game. So I often think of it this way, and I mentioned it last week. You can look at this like Jesus is making, oh, Jesus, the bar is too high. Or you can hear a text like this and say, this is Jesus waking me up. So I used the illustration last week. Bears to be repeated. If you've ever been knocked unconscious, and I hope you haven't, <laughs> sometimes they'll take smelling salts and they put it under your nose and all of a sudden you wake up. It, it shakes you back to life. This is the gift of what Jesus is doing here. He's giving you smelling salts. Hey, I want to help you discern where you actually really are because I know that you have the ability to fool yourself. And I know that your affection for this world, you're ever in it. And it's always pulling at you, saying, love me, love me, love me. But every time you, you dive deeper into the culture and world, and I'm not talking about participating in life in this world, but the values, you're moving further from the things I love. So every once in a while, I got to wake you up. So he does this, and it's beautiful here. He's saying, listen, if you're, if you're hard-hearted and it's an intellect thing only, here's my challenge to you, friend. I have a friend who's absolutely brilliant, one of the most uh, brilliant men I've ever met. And he came to me once because he said, I find myself in services just being analytical the whole time. He said, so all I do is, is I, I analyze what's being said. I think, okay, that's not bad. And he said, I realize nothing's getting in my heart. And so he does this now. Comes into a gathering like this and he starts with a prayer before the service even starts. He said, God, thank you for my mind. Thank you give me the ability to think. But God, I want my heart to wake up today. Because it has to get from here to here. And then those with the emotional, shallow ground where you get excited easily about things, but then when things don't go according to plan, you get discouraged and frustrated and all of a sudden God is not and the church is not and these people are not. Whoa. Maybe you need to take moments in these moments and grow some deeper roots. If you're that type of person, you need to be in Bible study. You need to be in places that are not all charged. You need to be in places that even seem a little boring to you. But you need to grow deeper with truth. Grow root system. So when trouble comes, you can stand. And friends, the divided heart, oh, I pray that you feel conviction. Oh, pastor, I don't like that. 
Well, who does, right? (laughs) But I'll tell you this. I've said it many times. If you ever feel conviction, not guilt, not religious guilt, not condemnation, because religion will bury you. You'll never do enough. I love, don't you love Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray? He said, forgive us daily our trespasses. He knew you'd need it every day. He already knew you. Isn't that neat? He already knew you're going to mess up all the time. So come to me daily for grace. Come to me daily for distributions of grace, and I'll gladly give it to you. I love that about him. But when you feel conviction, it's proof that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you on the sidelines wallowing and being miserable. He wants his joy to be made complete in you. So the worship team's going to come and lead us in worship, but before they do, I'd invite you to take this little communion cup. Take off that first layer and grab the wafer if you would. The truth of this story in this parable, friends, I hope is not lost on you. How many would, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, how many would say, listen, I've had some thorns in my life. There's been some rocks in the soil of my soul. Anyone been there? Just put your hand up. Almost like you're proud. (laughs) You know, every one of us could put our hands up. And here's the biggest frustration in life, is you come to a gathering like this and somebody says, you shouldn't be doing this, and you just go, I'm trying not to, but it doesn't work. You know what you're trying to do? You're trying to be the gardener, and you're not the gardener. Listen, when there are thorns and rocks in the soil, whose job is it to remove it? The soil? The soil can't remove it. It's the gardener. So friends, you can keep trying to get rid of this stuff in your life and trying not to do this, or what you can do is go deeper into Christ and let him do the gardening in your life. I choose option two. It's much better. See, Jesus would say to you, friends, you go to the gardener and you say, Jesus, remove these thorns. Take these rocks from my life. And he turns to you and says, Child, I took those thorns on my brow for you. They buried me with those rocks, but they couldn't keep me down. And so we celebrate that. And I invite you, take that wafer and just break it in two. You know, you may not have been physically broken in this life, but everybody gets dropped by somebody in life. Every one of us have experienced brokenness in this life. No one has wholeness. But Jesus comes and he's broken. So friend, you can be whole. And you know, I love to remind ourselves in the middle of this, you're a work in progress. This is the kind of message that says, keep moving forward, don't get stuck. You're in progress. Thank God you're not the person you were. But thank God. Right now, you're not the person you're going to be as you journey deeper into the things of Christ. Let's take this broken wafer representing his broken body, remembering that Christ was bruised and broken so you could be made whole. Let's take it together. I'd invite you to open the cup if you would. This represents the blood that was spilt for you. This means that there's no sin you've ever committed. We learned this last week, didn't we? In verse 28, there's no sin that you've committed that Jesus can't forgive. Isn't that good news? 
But here's something I want you to remember now as we take the cup together. It's amazing. God is holy, transcendent, awesome, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. And yet he calls you friend. Is that not strange? You know, religion keeps God at a distance from you. And Jesus keeps trying to get near to you. I love the fact that, friends, he calls you that. I tell my guys all this all the time. Remember who's got your back. Jesus has always got your back. When everybody else leaves you, he doesn't. When you need grace, he's there. Don't ever assume on his friendship, but never forget he loves you. I feel like this is proof. We remember he died and he rose again because he bind the strong man of this world and he plunder it. And you, friend, who are fearfully and wonderfully made, you are his prize. You are his prize. And he purchased you with a price that could never be measured out in gold or treasure on this earth. That's how precious you are. You might think less of yourself, but I want you to know Jesus doesn't. You're his treasure. Let's take this together with thanksgiving in our hearts. Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your truth leads us to life. And God, we celebrate that you are near. You are near and you're here to stay, God. Lord, we want to follow you in the path of righteousness. So God, we bring our sin before you and we ask for your forgiveness. We bring our divided hearts and we pray that you'd help us to reorder it, God. Lord, that we would begin to lean into your truth and what your word says about every quadrant of our life. In a real sense, God, we surrender. We surrender it all to you, God. Our pain, our hurt, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our gossip, our our hatred, our anger, our lust, our lying. We just give it all to you, God, and we ask to be clothed in your righteousness today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's sing that song, Our God is Near, Our King is Near, or Here to Stay. It was a, I really love this worship course because it, the truth of what it says, that he's so near, you can look in the grave, but he's no longer there. Yes, he's in heaven and he's here all at the same time, but you don't need to go there to find him. He's right here and he's here to stay. And you know, it's a great song. A couple of our worship team leaders here uh, wrote this song. And we're going to be celebrating over the coming month. But I'm going to invite you to stand right across this room. We'll just-